Hi, and welcome to the Rags to Riches show with myself, Terry Blackburn. So today's guest is a very experienced guest. To give you an idea of his bio and his CV, from the research that I've done, um, hopefully this is right, uh, 25 years investing experience, everything from buy to let HMOs, planning gains, refurbishing a lot of distressed properties. He's currently a coach in mindset business and property. He lost 50 kilograms at age 50, which I'm fascinated to know a little, little bit more about. Um, and his favorite quote that I could find um, was when the three pillars of mind, body, and business are in sync, we're in our greatest harmony. And I think that's a really, really good quote, something I believe in too. I'm a big believer in healthy body, healthy mind. Um, so let's find out a bit more. Welcome to the show, Dixesh Patel. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me today on uh, today's podcast. No problem. No problem. It's a, it's a great um, pleasure to speak to you. So um, what we like to do on the show, we like to partition your life up into three parts. So the start would be how you got into property and business. Mm-hmm. Middle part would be the exciting part, the big things that you've achieved, the growth parts. And then the current is just what your attention is on right now, what you're looking mm-hmm. at currently and what you're looking at going mm-hmm. forward. Sure, sure. So, just give us a sort of brief overview of each of those parts, uh, please, and then we'll try and extract some of the lessons and some talking points as we go. That would be great. Sure. Um, yeah, it's interesting how I started in property. I actually started uh, uh, accidentally um, uh, getting involved with um, helping my mum and dad buy their first, uh, what I would call his right to buy council property. Um, I remember that. I, uh, I was a I was a wee 20-year-old lad, didn't really know what I was doing, um, didn't really understand what Margaret Thatcher, the then Prime Minister, had introduced uh, in terms of being able to buy the property that you, you'd rent, rented from the council for many years. So that experience, um, the initial uh, tenacity required to knock on the doors of the council, trying to find out how the process works. Can you remember this in the backdrop of no technology, probably the internet didn't even exist back then uh, in 1989. Um, that, was, that was the year I was born, actually. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's a long time ago. Um, you know, got involved uh, right from the beginning, trying to understand how to buy the property. How does it work? How much discount do they get? Then once you understand that, um, you know, have we got enough money to buy the damn thing, you know, whether it's our own cash or whether it's a, a mortgage? And, that, you know, that was my early green shoots of uh, understanding how to uh, acquire property. And it was probably uh, my first experience as an accidental landlord because um, I didn't really know what I knew back then. Um, and then and, and I started learning the hard way, rolling your sleeves up as you do. And, and at that point, did... Did you enjoy the process and did you get your, a lot of people get this spark for property, don't they? And something normally spurs you on. Was that a sort of catalyst for you at that point or was it just? Um, I think it was, it wasn't, the catalyst didn't occur then uh, because I was still a university student. Okay. So I myself wasn't even working at the time, but it was just understanding that actually this thing was worth X, X hundred, X thousand pounds and we were getting like you know, such a significant discount it just seemed like a no-brainer at the time and we were living there so it just you know we became my mum and dad became owner occupiers and the catalyst actually came three years later because I'd by that time I'd been working for three years 
when I then embarked in buying my own property and then understanding how to turn this other property into a buy-to-let property. Okay. And so that was probably the first catalyst of, hmm, is this how this works? Income versus expenditure. Because I didn't really understand debt back then. And, and debt used to be a, a big no-no thing, especially in, in my community. Where, oh, you know, what happens if the tenant doesn't pay the rent? Then who's going to pay the mortgage? You know, these sorts of uh, mindset sort of uh, stories started playing up in the early days. So that was the catalyst back then. That was the one. Okay. So if we, if we dive a bit deeper into that middle part, because I know you've achieved a lot in your career so far. Um, so give us some highlights, sort of how the how the property growth happened and what it looks like right now. First off, before sure. we talk about the mindset, the fitness and the business stuff, but just sure. the side, be great. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, my background is actually spent over 25 years in investment banking. Okay. Um, initially started off as a technologist and worked my way all the way through to program and project uh, uh, management, you know, which was good at the time. It's, it's a high-pressured, high-paid high, high type role. Um, and in that time, back in the, after my father's initial council flat property, we, I then embarked in buying my, my own property in 1993, back then in Northwest London. And then, you know, you, what do you do? You do the normal thing. You bought something as a family, and then you'll save up for the next one. The next one came along in 1997 when we bought, my brother bought his, his house, so we all helped in that scenario. Again, the same repeating cycle occurs. We've got to save up, earn lots of money. And then the next one didn't happen until 2002, funnily enough. Wow. And that was probably, I would say, the, the, the real uh, catalyst in understanding you can't wait four or five years of saving and buying and then renting because you're just never going to get to any form of, uh, you know, like what, you know, what do people want is more time, right? Uh, and develop residual income. And it's only in the sort of the early 2000s where clearly these properties we've bought have increased in equity wealth. The penny started dropping, you know, start refinancing some of these properties and then started buying um, my own, you know, my own portfolio um, in, in the sort of, you know, I would say 2002, 2003 is when we first started buying my own sort of properties um, as buy-to-lets. And that sort of continued on well on to into the early 2010s. Okay. Um, and, you know, around that time, of course, the property networking circuit started to sort of uh, uh, evolve. And it's like, ooh, what's these? What's all this about? You know, what's what's joint ventures? And you know, I really started dabbling, you know, understanding what that means and how you could expand your business through leveraging other people's money. Um, and you know, I then moved on to refurb projects. You know, refurb, buy, refurbish, refinance. And then eventually went on to heavy lifting um, HMOs. You know, at its height, I had over uh, 100 rooms at any one point in time. Um, you know, started... is this all in London? Uh, no, so we started a lot in uh, Peterborough. I, I did a lot of research in terms of HMO zones around the country. And I had like a top two that we'd uh, uh that I'd, I'd looked at and peter sort of came up as you know good good purchase uh, uh level with the yields um and then, and then good refinancing options and as it happens that was a great decision 
uh, around that time because a lot of the properties in Peterborough have gone up naturally in value anyway. Um, and then, you know, what, what do people normally do? They, you know, they start off with buy to lets, a bit of refurb projects, then they move into heavy lifting HMO type refurbs. And it's only sort of in the last five years that I've moved into uh, uh, property development. Um, but I, 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 I do like a good planning game flip. Um, you know, I don't, doing construction, people don't think with the shiny pennies that it's actually, um, uh, it's, uh, it's an easy, e easy game doing construction. Um, cause if it was that easy, we'd all be doing it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've got a scheme, 22 flats, uh, uh, going up as we speak, uh, just North of Birmingham. So that's exciting. Um, but I tend to sort of uh, only build one in every four schemes, whereas planning gain is, is, is a big thing because you can buy something, get the planning, get its uplift, and then let somebody else take care of the construction risk. I think that, that's been a common theme. A lot of the developers that I've interviewed so far, a lot of them are seeing that. Uh, Danny Inman springs to mind. He was very much, if I never had to deal with a contractor ever again, <laughs> I'd be a happy man. He'd yeah. much rather just shuffle the papers and that's, that's an in interesting one coming from two people who are established, who've done investing and development for a long period of time. Yep. On a smaller scale, you know, I've done five, six, seven, eight, nine bed HMOs. Even that is dealing with trades. And at the minute, during the way we are in 2020 with COVID and prices going up, it's horrific, isn't it? That they never yeah. do stuff on time. There's so many variables with trades. Yeah. Never mind a huge 22 development or bigger scheme. Um, it's not like losing five grand on a bioelectric. It can be quite a bit more than that, can't it? I think. On Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even with the backdrop of recently with the pandemic, um, you know, con construction companies going bust, uh, the projects delayed. You got supply chain issues, lab labour uh, pressures as well, with a lot of the mm. Brexit impact, with a lot of you, you know, labour force moving out of the UK, uh, and of course now we have supply chain issues with material costs going up and even getting the materials to your site is also a challenge. Mm, um, for so, sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it just seems to be a common theme for the listeners. I think that's, you know, if you've been done by a while, HMOs a while and you're looking to go into development, it's not all about actually building it out yourself. You yeah. can make, if you can make 50 grand on a planning game rather than 100, 120 on a the full thing it's probably worth doing the planning absolutely i mean even, you know, to, to put it give a positive slant if you were a first-time developer i i would strongly recommend partnering up or joint venturing with a much more experienced developer who's mm -hmm. been through uh, the ups and downs of the property cycles obviously had dealt with planning uh, also dealt with construction challenges that you know that will save you a lot of a uh, lot of heartache and pain mm. Love that. I think that's great advice. What advice would you, what, what other bits of advice would you give to anybody who's not maybe someone who's just starting off, but someone who's a little bit established in property, just what you've learned from over the years, what would you, what, what piece of advice would you give if you could book something? Um, I think the big one is leave your ego at the front door mm. um, because you can't know it all yourself. You can't do it all yourself. Um, yeah, had I known what I known back then when I first started, I would have uh, got the right education. Um, you know, that's why I do a lot of coaching myself uh, with uh, property entrepreneurs. You'd be surprised, you know, there are no new mistakes in this business. 
<laughs> there, there are only old mistakes. So you know, partner, partner yourself up with, with, with a great uh, mentor in the world of property. Get yourself educated because the cost of doing that it should be regarded as an investment because what you'll get from that will further accelerate your journey so you don't have to make the same mistakes. And that's great advice. And um, for some reason, a lot of people still put off mentors. They look at it like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to pay X amount of thousands to him because mm-hmm. that would be my first deposit. But like you rightly say, learn from someone else's mistakes, not your own. I love that phrase you just said, there's no new mistakes. I haven't heard that. <laughs> I love that one. I want to use yeah, that yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah. Love that. Love that. But you're completely right. Completely right. Um, I've had a property coach over the years. I've also had a business coach and and a personal trainer. And I'm a big believer in coaching personally. I think it pushes you on and and there's always somebody doing more than you, isn't there? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Love that. Thank you. Um, So if we just go back a step, so just looking at the middle section still, so what other big things have you achieved? Obviously very successful in HMOs by the sounds of it, planning against the things. What else have you achieved in, in that sort of growth part of your career? Maybe it's outside of property. Yeah. yeah. In terms of the outside property, did you say? Yeah. Well, inside or outside, do you whatever. Yeah, you yeah. yeah. Um, well, inside property, I mean, the biggest HMO conversion I've done is twenty-five bedrooms. So that that's a that's a real feat in itself. Um, yeah. I don't yeah. I don't know if I'd do that again, but I, I sort of might might sort of cluster the the rooms up into smaller uh, sort of units. But you know, that was a great experience. Um, the biggest scheme I've got is currently going on at the moment is 22 flats. That's exciting. We're already up to the first floor. Um, and out of the sites that I've had, uh, we've successfully gained planning for four out of five schemes. That's and then cool. the fifth scheme, uh, we even managed to sell uh, a break even of cost. Uh, so uh-huh. you know, that, that's, you know, the worst case is if you can be break even of cost on a planning game, um, then that's a good place to be. Yeah, definitely. Just on the um, on the twenty two development one. So is that a JV? Do you JV with other people? Or is that just yourself? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I've got um, a, a business partner. So we act as the lead developer uh, on that particular site, and we've got um, uh, investors uh, invested into that project as joint venture investors. Uh, so that's exciting. You know, the margins are pretty, pretty good. I think we've already got uh, eight reservations out of twenty two off plan. Uh, and then we haven't even released uh, uh, the next phase of that project yet. So, I, mean, yeah. I was just about to ask about the exit. So is it sale? Is that the exit? Yeah. So That's in it. terms of that property, it's likely that we'll be left with five or six unencumbered properties. And for the uh, uh, for the audience who don't know what that means, it means that we'll have five or six prop, prop flats with no debt on it, which effectively is our pro- our, our profit. So. What I always say to anybody is, is look at each checkpoint in your project. So if you have to get rid of 15 to 16 flats to break even of cost, get rid of all your debt, then worry about what you're going to do with the other five or six because mm-hmm. the market might have changed at, at that point. So, we, you know, depending on uh, our investors, it's likely that we may well hold some of those properties depending on where we are by next spring. Mm. Okay, cool. Sounds good. I think that's good advice. Again, from someone who's experienced. Um, okay. Um, 22 bedroom HMO. Um, all on suite. Um, I'd say a significant chunk of them were off on suites. I think uh, close to uh, 18 rooms, I think. Yeah. Yeah. 
And was that was that London as well, or did you tend to invest all over the country? Or uh, no, that the HMO was in that specific one was again in Peterborough. Peterborough, yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. Sounds good. So, how did the the mindset and the fitness thing come about? Then is that something you've been interested in all of your life, or is it just something that you've gradually got into? And tell us a bit more about um, that. Yeah, so I thought I'd break it up into parts as a business. Uh, and a property coach I've been doing that for over like 10 12 years now so that's always been there and in in the backdrop um, during the early stages of that I developed uh, at a personal level myself Uh, you know I'm also an NLP uh, qualified practitioner Um, and it's only when I started getting into the deep into the mindset sort of education that I realized that that's connected business uh, side of it as well. So I've added that. So you know, I'm also a personal development coach and a mindset coach as well. Been doing that for a good uh, eight to ten years as well. Um, and it's only in the last sort of three to three and a half years where I sort of physically transformed myself, as you mentioned, you know, dropping fifty kilos getting a few sort of uh, articles in some men's health magazines, which is exciting. But yeah. going through that process really helped understand uh, to tune the physical side of myself. And that then transposed into much more energy, focus and drive uh, on the business side of it, as well as the mental side of it. Because if you can... If you can take control of yourself at a very physical level, that positively affects your mental health and that naturally cascades out into um, your business growth as well. And that is when the third piece of the jigsaw sort of came about in the last sort of two, uh, two or three years, which, which has been phenomenal. It's not something that I was looking for. It wasn't an it wasn't expected or anticipated but I had to go through a physical transformation for myself to actually believe it at the end of that uh, and I now uh, you know I've, I've got a significant number of clients that I specifically uh, transform their bodies now which is also exciting oh well I think that's um that's a great story there because I'm a big believer in this also that getting your mind and your your body right um, it does spill out into other parts of your life, doesn't it? it? I certainly feel if I don't train in the morning, I'm not as sharp and as on the ball. And yes. I'm doing my sales stuff with my sales team. I'm just not. Even if it's just going for a walk, it doesn't have to be, you know, 60 minute hit training, does it? Even if you just do something, it just keeps mm-hmm. you sharper up here. Yeah, and I'm completely with you. It, it spills out into business for sure. Well, I think yeah, what it is, I mean, I I, I have to train in the morning. Because if I don't, I'm, I'm, I get really cranky throughout the whole day. Yeah, me too. Uh, but but it's, un, it's knowing the impact, not just being in the gym. It's You're in the gym, it's just you, and it's the machines or whatever you're doing. And it allows you to just get rid of anything that's in your mind to be able to then just focus on you, your form, your technique, or whatever you're doing, so that it relaxes your mind from any other things that are going on in your mind. And I think a lot of people underestimate that as to why and the importance of actually being focused on, on your training because it does help you to settle your mind if there is a lot of things going on. Definitely. It gives you clarity of thought. Completely with you on that. Yeah. Um, it's funny, isn't it, as well, how, how there's a lot of people who are very successful in business in different industries who are also big into the fitness. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think there's a mm. direct link, isn't there? 
There um, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, there's obviously some millionaires, billionaires even, who are extremely overweight and unhealthy. There's some of them, but I think the vast majority also do some form of exercise and keep fit. Absolutely, um, yeah. For sure, I'm with you on that. Um, you talked about, I read a little bit in one of your posts, in your bio, um, you do a lot of, between the, the mind-muscle connection. Mm-hmm. You talked about, can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, I know what that is, but some people listening might not. Yeah, so it's when you're when you're training, a lot of the times what tends to happen is think of when you're uh, the first time you started to drive. What was that experience? You were in the cockpit, you said, Oh, where's the gear shift? You got the accelerator, you got the brake, you got to look at the, the the wing mirrors, you're looking at the rear view mirror. There's a lot to take in, right? And it's no different with the mind-muscle connection. The, the minute you step into the gym, the first time you do some movements, you know, you start feeling it. The second time it gets easier, the fourth time, and then all of a sudden, it's like walking down the high street. It just becomes easier and easier. Mm. And even if there are times where you've got you've had a say a layoff or an injury in between uh, workouts, you'll be surprised how quickly the mind-muscle connection gets triggered when you get back onto the gym floor. And but the main, the big challenge for people is just to get going, get into the driver's seat, get into first gear. And just get used to driving, get used to walking. And that's the best analogy I can give. Love that. And something you picked up on something you said there as well, and I agree. It's the thought of going to the gym that's worse than actually going to the gym for half, yeah. half the people, isn't it? And once they're in there, you're a set of sore in, you're fine, aren't you? It's just actually driving there however you get there. It's the yeah. thought of it, isn't it? Um, I think people spend more time procrastinating about doing something than actually doing it. Because what's the worst thing that can happen if you did something, let's say going to the gym, you know, you may, you may find that you actually enjoy it. Just get going. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And who doesn't want to be healthier, right? I mean, absolutely. um, There's no point having, there's no point being the richest person in the graveyards with no friends or family. You've got to, got to enjoy it and make your money. But that's what coming up to one of my last questions was, um, it seems like you do a lot of things. You're doing your coaching in various fields. You're obviously keeping fit yourself. You're doing investing. Are you still doing the investment banking, or is it, are you full fully? No, no, that I left five years ago. That. Yeah, it's all, all gone yet. Yeah. All gone. So you're spending quite a few plates still. So, yeah. what advice would you give on work-life balance and spinning all these plates, keeping fit, coaching, and investing yourself? What advice would you give for for um, balance? Yeah, I love, love to give uh, comparison frames or analogies. And I'll use, use schools as a great example. If schools didn't have a timetable, what would happen? It would be absolute chaos, right? Yeah. And it's no different in the adult world. Yeah, you've got 168 hours in the week, 24 hours, seven days a week. Start mentalizing your time and creating a timetable so that you know what you're doing at specific points in the day and the week. So it becomes almost like a habit and it becomes rhythmic so that what that does is it creates a lot of white space in your diary to free up for leisure activities or family activities or whatever else that you want to do to have fun because that then stops the overanalyzing of what you should and shouldn't be doing. Organize your schedule right down to that. Uh, like a school timetable, that's the best advice I can give somebody. I think it's a, it's such a simple 
bit of advice, but it's a simple concept. And some of my sales guys still don't do this. And I say, <laughs> should have just Google at Outlook, you know, Gmail at Outlook, nice and organized on your calendar. To-do lists, I'm a big fan of, as simple as they are. Yep. I'm assuming you do, how, how do you do that? Do you do to-do lists? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got like a ClickUp uh, um, uh, uh, tool that we use that manages uh, almost like a Kanban-style to-do list board. So okay. what's 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 the activities required? Uh, what's in progress and completed and through through a flow? And then who owns those tasks? So it's much easier to manage. Uh, yes, yeah, so, and I do that across my three different business units, which you know just makes it so much easier when all the businesses are synchronized on the same platforms. And is that on a is that a CRM or some sort of system? Did you mention? I know ClickUp is like a uh, project and uh, to do sort of list type management software, and people can look know. it up. ClickUp, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I find myself I've got that much in here, and sometimes I just need to get it out, and then I. Uh, you know, I speak to various members of my team and tell them all these and stuff. But then, all the time, you get you get carried away with something else, don't you? And we just Absolutely. put on a spreadsheet, but something a bit more slick, like this. That system sounds. Yeah, so, so ClickUp's great for that task assignment, task prioritization, to do list management, and then you can add uh, members and people into into ClickUp. But what also I find is we have so many different communication channels whether it's email or WhatsApp or Messenger or whatever it is. Um, so we have something called Slack as well now, where we, we've almost, like, especially with all the businesses I've got, all our communications happen through Slack. And what you can do is you can create different, what we would call is channel conversations. So it could be the same two or three people, but it's specifically talking about the sales element or it's specifically talking about the project or the property side of it. So it's not like you're going to be faffing around in WhatsApp trying to search for the for the different streams. You can start having much more compartmentalized, intelligent conversation streams, and that that makes things much easier from a communication perspective. Great for team communication. I just don't think I could cope with any more WhatsApp group messages. <laughs> I mean, that many. I get. I must have a different WhatsApp group every week. There's something else every week. So that again, streamline that. That's great advice again. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that on, on a personal note. Um, that's great. Thank you. So um, just a couple more time on. Yeah, just a couple more questions I've got for you. Um, so if we just go back to property again a second. So what's what's the future life for you? What are you looking at now? What's your attention on? Is there any strategies that you really like at the moment or you think you've got a bright future? What would your advice around property be and what are you doing? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a couple of things in there. One is uh, the new sort of planning changes with Class MA, mm -hmm. uh, so commercial to resi type conversions, shops and uppers. Obviously, we've seen on the high street a lot of retail space uh, uh, closing down. So that's a big focus uh, for me at the moment, looking for sort of those type of opportunities, Class MA, shops and uppers. Uh, commercial resi type conversions that's one side of it mm -hmm. the second side of it is also working with what uh, landlords who sort of want to get out of this game uh, where there's a margin in a portfolio so it's looking to do more portfolio acquisitions rather than sort of do piecemeal uh, one sort of buy to let type property at a time so mm -hmm. scaling up that side of it and then the other side of it is um, you know once the whole 
uh, incentives around the pandemic start settling down, furlough disappearing, all the incentives, the government starts easing back. I do anticipate a fallout in the property market with a lot of people uh, potentially uh, not being able to afford uh, their mortgages or keep up with them. So by the end of this year, I do, I do see some opportunities in, in, in sort of distressed stocks. So there's a focus there on purchasing and acquiring distressed assets as well. Uh, so those are the three main areas of focus over the next sort of six to 12 months. Okay, cool. That's interesting. I think the, the portfolio one is something that I'm looking at also because they're just certainly people who own, the, own the properties in their own name, they're just getting squeezed and squeezed mm-hmm. further on. I've just actually read something this morning. I don't know if you read that about the talking about changing the EPC as yeah, well yeah. for landlords from 2025. I think I was half read the article this morning. It just seems like they're just squeezing and squeezing landlords, which is just going to create an opportunity for people like us, the professional landlords who want to do it at scale. Um, so I completely agree on that one. Um, I've never done any big developments to commercial or resi. I think I will eventually, but just dealing with builders on seven bed, nine bed HMOs is to do my head in. So that's maybe the planning game. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, Great. No, thank you for that, Tisesh. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, just last last point, just to wrap up. Um, where's the best place for people to find you? Would it be Instagram, Facebook, is the website? What's the best place if someone wants uh, to reach out or contact you? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so uh, we've got um, uh, the property mentoring uh, business, Peak Performance Property. Uh, people mm-hmm. Google that. Uh, my development companies, LighthouseCapitalGroup.co.uk. Um, get hold of me there. And if people do want to get hold of me, um, you've got me on Instagram at Dixesh. That's D-I-K-S-E-S-H. Uh, you can definitely find me even on LinkedIn, Dixesh Patel. Um, and if anybody wants to email me, um, it's me at DixeshPatel.com. Uh, you know, if anybody wants to more information about what we, we're up to in terms of property development investment or even some of the mentoring uh, side of the business, yeah, feel free to get in touch with me. Amazing. Lighthouse Capital, what any meaning behind the name? Just out of curiosity. Lighthouse. Um, it was um, you know, the connotation came about through you know, what does a lighthouse mean? A safe passage to a harbor, a safe haven uh, or, like or a guiding light uh to to um um positivity, and that's where that came about. Yeah, no, I like that. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much. Hope you have a fantastic day. Thanks for your time. I hope everyone's enjoyed it. Uh, certainly some gems in there that I've, I've took myself. Uh, so thank you for your time. Have a great day. Thanks, Terry. Thank you.